Today on Sagittarian Matters, call your girlfriend. It's big friendship with Ann Friedman, Aminatu So, and Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studio in Portland, Oregon. We have a very special treat today. Amina Tuso and Ann Friedman from the podcast Call Your Girlfriend are here. Call it a crossover, call it the celebration of their new book, Big Friendship, but do not turn the dial. Amina Tuso is a writer interviewer, and cultural commentator. She is a frequent public speaker whose talks and interviews lead to candid conversations about ambition, money, and power. Aminatu lives in Brooklyn. Anne Friedman is a journalist, essayist, and media entrepreneur. She is a contributing editor to The Gentlewoman. Every Friday, she sends a very popular email newsletter. Together, Aminatu and Anne host the long-running podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, produced by our friend, Gina Delvac. Beth Pickens is the author of the book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. She is an arts consultant, a Capricorn, and an esteemed friend to the podcast. Beth joined producer Ponyo and I to chat with Anne Friedman and Aminatu So about their new book, Big Friendship. It came out this week. Big Friendship is a book about friendship and feminism. It's a call to value your friendships and all of their complexity, actively choose them, and sometimes fight for them. I want to read you a few short and beautiful descriptions of the book, and then we'll get right to our interview. Here, friendship gets the emotional and intellectual respect it deserves. And like any truly great love story, Anne's and Aminatu's is a page-turner. I love this book. From Rebecca Traster. Hilary Rodham Clinton says, A wonderful and intimate portrayal. A story as universal as it is revolutionary. And Ariel Levy says, In this open-hearted book, Aminatu So and Anne Friedman show us how a friendship can be as rewarding and enduring as a marriage, and they urge us to value it accordingly, as they clearly do, an inspiration. Now, listeners, please enjoy my talk with Call Your Girlfriend's Own, Aminatu So, Anne Friedman, and our resident Capricorn and fan favorite, Beth Pickens. Tuso, Anne Friedman, and special guest Beth Pickens. Welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Hello. Hello. We are here in honor of your new book, Big Friendship, which I loved. Thank you for this gift to the world. And that honors friendship in, in such a particular way that I'm not used to seeing anywhere else, that I've never seen anywhere else. Especially female friendship. Highest compliment. Highest compliment, truly. Seriously. Um, we have so much to talk about. We have such little time. I told Beth Pickens we were going to have to be like the micro machines man and just like really like get through this. Like, <laughs> so like we could really talk to you for two hours, I think easily. Um, I really I want to start with a very softball softball because we've talked about it on the podcast so many times is shine theory. Can you please describe shine theory, how it came to you and how it has supported and informed your friendship? Shine theory has its roots in a phrase that we would often and still do say to each other, which is, I don't shine if you don't shine. 
Essentially meaning that we are invested in each other um, being the person we want to be. Um, and that making sacrifices to help your friend with something that they want to bring into their life or have come to fruition or achieve um, is really like actually an investment in yourself in the sense that um, we all get happier and healthier when members of our community get happier and healthier. And so we define it as an investment in each other over the long term and a choice to prioritize collaboration over competition. I love that. It's <laughs> Beth Pickens is miming weeping right now. She's weeping. It's something that is. We- oh, God. No, I was going to say weeping because she didn't have to give the definition. We talk about it a lot. <laughs> but also, Beth Pickens, an iconic practitioner of shine theory. So, it's true. You know, real. So real in both of our lives. I mean, the fact that you could bring down such a lofty, aspirational thing to something so easy for people to swallow and understand is a really generous gift. Because that shine theory in and of itself is just one of the most brilliant ways of living. And we need life guides like that is a tenant of how to live and i'm so grateful for that that you named that and captured it 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 really it's such like you know when i was a teenager and i was reading riot girl zines and they were like you know not not competition like girls working together was such a powerful thing to even think about because i was socialized to be in competition with other women or to see other women's successes as me getting something less or there being some kind of scarcity like Oh, only so many queer people at the top, only so many women at the top, only so many whatever. So then to have just this theory, like, no, I'm just going to ascribe to something completely different. And here's how I'm going to go. A new way, a different way. I really loved in your book how seriously you took friendship. And um, I really appreciated you talking about all the different bumps in the road of your friendship and how committed you were to each other. I know that my Capricorn co-host, co-host today, Beth Pickens, has some more things that she would like to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, wow. you both know that I'm a big fan of this book. I got, I was lucky enough to get an advanced reader copy, which I tore through and then wrote you both fan letters because I love it so much. <laughs> and I had this experience while I was reading it that afterwards I realized I understand this book as a queer book because the way you frame friendship and chosen family is kind of a a central way queer people understand chosen family. The seriousness with which we invest in the people we collect along the way as, okay, this is the group of people I'm moving through life with. So this was such, I, I, I just related to it so much as a queer person. And the way you talk about chosen family is so ubiquitous in the queer community. And I wonder if that came up or if you've heard that feedback from anywhere, but you guys have written a queer family book. Beth, that is so generous of you and it's so kind and I'm really getting emotional because, you know, going back to the first question that Nicole asked, so much of um, our friendship is um, about values and about value alignment and finding your people and... Um, in order to live life like you want to, you have to name things, you have to label them, and you have to be really clear about how they, you know, which rubric they fit in um, in your quest for liberation for all of us. And um, and I know that, um, you know, for, for both of us, um, the queer community has really modeled how to have healthy, intense adult relationships. Because, um, you know, it, and it's not something that we take really lightly. I think that so much of the scholarship um, that 
was really informed a lot of my thinking about you know like how what what kind of person I want to be in the world and what kind of friend I want to be in the world is queer scholarship and I think that um that's really 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 important to to say because I think that so many people use um you know chosen family as this as this like very cute shorthand for for the thing that they're trying to do but you know um there was a time not long ago and this is still true for a lot of people now that the reason that you need a chosen family is because your family family um are not people who who are accepting of you and i think that it's such a privilege for for me and Anne to to understand that and to also understand intellectually how important that is it's like we know that on a feelings level but i think that you know we we are two people who are are feminists and you know really grounded in you know, that um, really grounded in like that praxis. But I think that um, queer theory is not something that gets enough shine when you talk about um, all of the ways that feminists are trying to be good people in the world. And I think that it was really important for us um, as, you know, two women who are writing a book about our own experience to um, to really bring that to the forefront. And I think that it was definitely an, it was definitely an ongoing conversation with us. And um, I'm just really honored that you would extend that generosity to us. Beth is <laughs> pantomiming, crying once again, <laughs> sobbing, sobbing, weeping, <laughs> sobbing. I reading your book, I I couldn't help but wonder. I it did make me think of Sex in the City and how rewatching this show over and over again, I was. I just noted how all of them get to have their moments of kind of wilding out and then they just work through it together. And I reading your book, I did feel regrets for when I was in my 20s and I couldn't see my part in things. And I would be like, well, this is just how this friendship is and I don't want that friendship anymore. And so I would just walk away from a friendship and how there's something about the maturity level that you have to get to to be able to be vulnerable enough to see your part in things and then name it and work through it. And I feel like both of you talked about doing this a lot in your book. So you went to a couples counselor. We did. Did you, you felt like, did you feel like Metallica? Oh my gosh. I love that you are referencing that documentary. Honestly. Screaming, screaming. I also am, I'm disappointed in every other person who has interviewed us and not brought that up, frankly, like fully disappointed. Um, Yeah. You know, speaking of possibility models, Metallica was a real possibility model for us that we could (laughs) work through, work through. You just undid all of the good work we've done on this podcast. Sorry, uh, helping us to <laughs> helping us to work through like the kind of many layers of what our relationship is, which is you know yeah we are very very close friends and have been for more than a decade, um, and but also you know we are creative collaborators, we are in business together, um, we are really woven into each other's friend groups in different ways, um, and I think that. Uh, acknowledging how complex all of those relationships are is something that like, um, you know, speaking of shorthands, like current models for like who goes to therapy or what is a relationship worthy of repair um, still pretty much default to, um, you know, romantic partnership, business partnership, um, or like a uh, biological family relationship or like a family of origin kind of relationship. And um, not fitting in any of those 
categories, certainly not neatly, I mean, we kind of had a toe in the business one, um, is what made it feel so radical and weird to acknowledge first to each other and then, you know, very slowly now to the world that um, we we needed another um, adult, a professional adult in the room to really help us repair our emotional connection. <laughs> I'm only laughing because when we very early on had this conversation of, um, you know, what what kind of adult do we need to hold our hand? Really, when I close my eyes, that person is Beth Pickens. And um, but it would not have been an appropriate ask on any no, any no, way, shape no. or form. But, you know, suffice to say that Beth Pickens was involved in that decision making anyway. And it was glorious. But, you know, I if you ever open like a Capricorn uh, therapy agency, please take me as your client, even though you know me. That would have been the gig of a lifetime. Too bad you're already friends with us, right? Like, too bad we have this other relationship. Isn't it, isn't it unfortunate? <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Maria Turner Carney, Carolyn Hu, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Harrod, Mary Pinson, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million via PayPal, that's your choice, to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books. That's H-E double hockey sticks books on Venmo. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Pano looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Panyo's speaking voice. Beth Pickens, take it away. Okay, so another reason I think this is a landmark book is how you address race and how it is inextricably woven into relationships, particularly friendship. And I know that you, when you were going through the process, you found such a dearth of research and critical looks at interracial friendships, right? That was one of the things that you noticed along the way. And this book is so vulnerable and so generous in the hard, heavy lifting you both did as individuals and then as a duo to look at how race has been inextricably woven into your story. And I am so grateful you did that because I feel like you gave a possibility model, especially for white people who are not maybe thinking about their interracial relationships, if they have any, about their position in them and how to think critically and zoom out and, and look at it. So this anatomy of conflict and terror and repair and how race is woven throughout, A, I just wanna say thank you for giving that to people. This is a guide, it is a model. And B, can you talk about how you were able to summon the stamina to keep doing that as friends in this complicated multiple relationship that you have and then write about it? The stamina seems like it had to have been extraordinary. <laughs> I, I guess it was but you know my my experience of it was always just needing to lie down on the floor I was just tired all the time I'm a I'm a one one feeling a day person I can do one feeling a day it doesn't matter how hard the feeling is but if I if you ask me to do 1.5 or 2 we are in serious trouble this and, was like uh, six a day. <laughs> I know. It was it was too much. It was too much. But now I understand why I was so tired all the time. The experience of um yeah, talking talking about your feelings is hard. You know, I think that um 
it is true that our our friendship went through these really big moments of strain and you know there there are some there's some moments there where you're like oh these two are not gonna make it but i think that you know um throughout all of it there was still um enough love and trust I think that um, meant that we both kept showing up. The experience of having to hire a therapist together, <laughs> even if you do not like the person that you were doing this uh, particular kind of activity with, I think that you learn a lot about them and you learn a lot about your own willingness to want to stay in something if you have to do those kinds of logistics and mechanics. And, um, you know, I think that there was so much... Um, so much of what happened, like I will speak only for myself, is that I I really realized that part of what I had been missing was this humongous piece of the puzzle of what Anne was thinking or feeling. And in the absence of that, I had I had ascribed my own meaning to things. And um, and now with the, you know, the benefit of hindsight and therapy, I understand how deeply unfair that is, because I would not like for anyone to to make assumptions about what I'm doing or thinking. And I think that because we were able to do that work on multiple levels, um, you know, that's probably where that stamina that you're talking about comes from. But I don't think that in real time I was recognizing, um, I understood that it was work and it felt really painful and it was exhausting. Like truly I've, I've never spent more time on the floor of my apartment. <laughs> we're um, both big going... floor people when like we are tired, we just like lay flat on the floor. That is our, I know I'm like, mechanism. I need, I need to be connected. Every part of my body needs to touch the floor. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that I recognize in real time that it was, it was it was that hard and it required all of it. But I think that, you know, the thing that is really beautiful about repairing a relationship or attempting to is that um, you watch someone else be brave and it makes you want to be brave, too. Um, sorry to that song that we all hate. But I think that that's what it was for me. It's that I was watching Anne doing this thing that I knew was really uncomfortable for her. Like I knew that I was like, I've been her friend for a long time. I know that she is not enjoying any part of this process. And, um, you know, to my own detriment, a thing that I need to happen all the time is, uh, when things are hard, I just need them to be hard in equal measure. I'm like, if I'm not happy, no one else is happy in the exact same way. And in this situation, that was true. And I just, you know, I watched Anne like extend herself day in and day out and just hang in there with me. And, um, and I don't know, you know, and somehow we did it, but I think that it, um, I don't think that we knew that it was possible before going in. And I think that it was not a given that we would have figured that out. And, and so much of that work happens in therapy and so much of that work happens in also just reconciling to yourself what you are hurt and mad about. And yeah, and I think that if we had not had this experience of, um, you know, vulnerability and um, really taking a hard look at ourselves individually in the process of going to therapy, it would have been totally impossible to write this book, which required us to do that in really different ways. Um, and, you know, kind of like rooted in something similar. And like the trust, I think, was like obviously had to be there in both cases. But um, it, there's really no way to see how we could have written this book Um you know, not just the chapter on race, but even the chapters that are like, quote unquote, easier, you know, or things about like, um, other aspects of our um, differing experiences as friends, if we did not have both the commitment that we were both going to show up really honestly, and and do our best and also the trust. 
How how do you think the therapeutic process intersected with unpacking race within the relationship, if at all? Hmm. I think that it was at therapy the first time that we or the first time that I articulated to Anne that some of the um, some of the issues that I was experiencing in our relationship were, you know, where uh, I was like the 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 lens of race is definitely happening here, <laughs> and um, and I don't think that I I had known that all along and just like you know kept it to myself or expected that you know it's like why is she not understanding that race is happening all the time. I, I really didn't know that. And I think that it really took a lot of drawing out um, and a lot of questioning. And I, I still I still remember that day like very clearly for me where it's like, oh, I had not articulated this very big thing to my friend who is also not understanding that it's happening at the same time. And uh, and I, I don't know that we would have arrived at that not in a therapy setting. Mm. And I also think that there are um, there are just so many things that I think I came to understand through our process together in therapy about how how slowly I recognize certain things or like my own avoidance patterns that once you once you have like once I had a grasp of that for myself, then um, then it becomes easier with like the mere suggestion of like, hmm, maybe some race was happening. Then it becomes a lot easier for me to be like, oh, right. Like I have a hard time seeing these layers or acknowledging these layers in other emotional ways. Like, of course, like, you know, racial microaggressions or like macroaggressions sometimes, let's be real, um, are going to slip by me or I'm I'm not going to um, acknowledge to myself that like, you know, deep in my gut, I have some suspicions that maybe, um, maybe race is part of this disconnect or conflict. And so, um, so yeah, I think, you know, some of that work, again, it's impossible to extricate, right? You know, it's like, it all builds on everything else. And then, you know, we also had a lot of um, conversations, like, you know, our writing process wasn't, we just sit down and write over each other's shoulder, you know, every part of this book is informed by, um, like long and intense dialogue where we tried to figure out um, kind of where we wanted to go. And then the words are just getting us there. <laughs> but the conversation is really at the root of it. Hmm. I feel like there's so, there's so much to say. I, I know that sometimes people, you know, couples that have been couples for a long time, when they're doing the hard work, later it's kind of in service to the memory of like how beautiful and magical it was in the beginning and like understanding someone's potential and possibility and feeling so excited about that person in their life and so I wonder if that was one of the guiding things because I know you know your relationship has spanned so much time that there have you've gone through different phases of your careers and places you've lived and your lives as you're working through this was that a kind of like the spark that you initially felt when you were obsessed with each other did that spark kind of help feed you through to be like, I know we could get back there again, or this is in service to that? That's such a good question. I, and I think that you're right, that that is true in, you know, in like certain couple settings. I think that, um, again, speaking strictly for myself, one of the most powerful experiences that I had in the process of both repairing our relationship and writing this book was realizing that we were very completely different people. It sounds so stupid that I just didn't know that. You know, I'm like, literally grew up at 
thousands of miles apart. One of us is white. One of us is black. You know, like everything about us is different. But I truly deep in my gut had not grokked that, that we were very different people. And the minute that I understood that so many points of weakness were because I, I at least was holding on so tightly to, to that idea. Um, the minute I released it, it meant that we could have a different kind of friendship, you know? So, so the spark, the spark was definitely, you know, like I think about it, I was like, it was great. The, our meet cute is amazing. The, the initial, uh, you know, like how we became friends is something that I love. I, I love so much and I love telling that story and I love that time in my life. But for me, at least, it was something that I really had to release and say, there is no way to be friends in that way again, knowing everything that I know about us and knowing everything that I know about my own patterns and, you know, just everything that is not working. And um, so obviously, like all of those things inform the relationship that we had now. But I, I was really I had been really holding on to that like way too tightly and letting it go was really, um, I think, for me, opened the door to a different kind of possibility. Yeah, I think about those early days of our friendship as sort of a blissful ignorance, um, which is to say that like it was really fun and we did feel like extremely connected to each other and like obsessed with each other. And also it is so clear to me now that how unsustainable it was for all of the reasons that Aminatu just said. And so... Yeah, Blissful Ignorance could have been the chapter title of the first couple chapters in this book. It it reminded me, you know, in my 20s, I I think there's a limerence that happens in all relationships, not just romantic, not just sexual. So it's the, as you were talking about your limerence experience together, where you're just like obsessed, you want to inhale the other, you just want to be inside each other's brain all the time. And remembering my friendships, particularly in my 20s, where I was just like, no, 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 wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are my people. Like this is, we're just going to do this thing forever. And I thought it was just a heterosexual normative model that meant that 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 couldn't happen. But then it turns out, like you said, Ian, unsustainability. Like, no, everybody's to individuate and learn how to go past limerence in all love relationships. But there's also heartbreak. I just have experienced heartbreak with every ending of limerence with every best friend, who are all still my best friends. But when I have to have the realization that we, I can't just be in a pod with you and we just go to the same place every day all the time because... I guess there was a young part of me that that's just what I hoped in adult life would happen. Um, I don't know. So it, it just like there was a heartbreak for me. I cried throughout your book a lot, but part of one of the early on crying episodes was thinking about my relationships and the ending of limerence with those important people who I still love today, but that, yeah, I can't have that thing that I thought this is how we'll get to travel through the world together. Yeah. You know, growing up, it turns out it's happening all the time. <laughs> also and and I you know I think that it's so um I yeah my own ignorance is just really like it just I will not I will never not be shocked at how little I know about myself (laughs) and um you know and and refusing to acknowledge that even if I'm living in the same city forever and I'm doing the same thing forever or what you know if I am I am in the static state it is still not it is not true that I am not changing in other significant ways. And there is just no way to grow with someone that way. And, um, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know why I didn't know that. And I, I don't know why I'm shocked by it. But, you know, there you're right that there's something really sad about it. But I think that for me, 
overwhelmingly, it's actually been very freeing of, okay, like this is not that it's just a phase in life, but that it, it is important to be present in this moment, but this will not be the reality of either of our lives forever. It's one of the gifts of you being an Aries. I mean, I just have to bring it here because this is Sagittarian Matters. And an Aries is going to be liberated by change. And a Capricorn is going to mourn the change for the rest of their goddamn life. I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up. But, you know, I... Listen, I am a Sag moon. So let's talk about it. Um, Love that that balance. Um, But, yeah, it's just... It is... um, it's painful. I, I definitely like, I love status quo. When something feels good, I want it to feel good forever in the same way. And I have this very romantic ideal of how you are supposed to be with your friends um, that is not sustainable. And, you know, and having to release that has been so, has been so important and transformative for me. But it just ushers in an era of being able to love someone more fully in a different way that isn't based on like the love drug or whatever kind of like implied similarities you have. Like, we both love God. It also takes. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it also takes the risk out of the future in a sense, right? Which is like our our friendship is not based on this tenuous set of circumstances or is not based on us kind of like protecting it like some little tiny glass object you know like we know that like you know we've done we've done a few of these changes we can probably do some more like that's a that's a really good feeling personal growth it's so hard though it's so hard who is trying to do all of this personal growth at the same time not me i like your one feelings a day cap that's that's me that's perfect for me I have a a one to three year limit. So when an inciting incident happens, I'll feel something about it one to three years later. Same. (laughs) Hard same. Hard, hard same. Like I was like, I, I, my, the thought process I was having was like, hmm, have I ever recognized I had a feeling on the same day I was feeling it? Like, like the timeline is very out of sync. Like definitely not. (laughs) Let's normalize slow processors. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Um, I'm Anna Tussauds and Ann Friedman. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Beth Pickens, thank you for co-hosting Special Capricorn Matters Edition. I loved your book. Um, I will include all details about how people can get it. And I'm just so happy you wrote it. And thank you for coming on the podcast. This is a book that a person should buy for all their friends. I would have, except all my friends pre-ordered it, literally. (laughs) Thank you so Don't much make for having sad us. Sad Aries cry. The sad Aries is just gonna cry all day. Um, that's my one feeling today. I just am overwhelmed with love and gratitude. Thank you both so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Sagittarian Matters. Hi, listeners. It's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics.
For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyos Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges.